This is a podcast from meow.net. Meow! Common Practice, a monthly podcast about the things people do. Things to do with creativity, collaboration, cultural democracy, and the commons. Welcome to another episode of Common Practice. In this episode, we're once again talking with Agnieszka Prokruva, or are we? We've spoken with her twice before, once about her work with Temporary, where she was looking at the social aspects of organisation in small spaces, and once about her podcast series, Ferment Radio. Now, Ferment Radio has just celebrated its first anniversary with a podcast about collaborating with mushrooms to make music. Listening to this, as I listen to all of the Ferment Radio podcasts, I was drawn to the fact that the subject matter here, in an interestingly odd way, linked with our concerns with cultural democracy and the commons. And so I asked Aga if we could borrow the recording and play it to our listeners. She said yes, and so here it is. After the recording, I will be talking briefly to Aga herself about the nature of Ferment Radio and her ambitions for it. But before I do that, here is Making Fungi Music. Welcome to Ferment Radio, a podcast series on bacterial and social fermentation. Fermentation can incite social actions, spark creativity and bring surprising new tastes to our lives. My name is Aga Pokrivka and I invite you to join us in a conversation on living interconnectivities. From macro to micro, from societal to cellular and from global to personal. This is a special one, our 20th episode and the first anniversary of Ferman Radio. Through the last 19 episodes, we've talked about microscopic organisms as a metaphor for planetary living, bacteria, algae, slime molds, yeasts and more. While most people might be familiar with time-lapse videos of growing plants and flowers, there are also impressive short clips of mushrooms developing. We can see how the fruiting body gets taller, how the cap enlarges, and how the skirt-like ring dramatically pops. Since we humans cannot perceive things happening in mushroom time, we need specialized gears such as long-exposure cameras to capture these images. But what would happen if we had superpowers to listen to them? What kind of sounds would we hear? Do mushrooms make music? These are the questions I wanted to ask Tosca Teran, an interdisciplinary ecofeminist, human holobiont whose work is located at the intersection of sound art, ecology and craft. As part of the duo Nanotopia, Tosca takes biodata from non-human organisms and translates it into music. Among these organisms, she also works with mushrooms and their root system known as mycelium. But first, let's go back to the basics. 
I've learned pretty recently what is mycelium, I have to say. So uh, maybe you could tell us what is actually mycelium and what caught your attention in it. The way I generally describe it to people um, that I think makes it easier to really visualize um, is saying, you know, it's the root-like structure of a mushroom of, you know, when you see the fruiting body, it's just not this strange little thing that's come out of decaying leaves and things like that, that there's more to it than that. Like there's this whole interconnected network under that, that came together to fruit perhaps in that one location. So it's the vegetative part of a fungus um, or bacterial uh, colony. And it consists of branching thread-like hyphae and they interconnect and they spread out. They can be very tiny and they can be incredibly massively huge. As far as my interest goes, I guess in working with it, or I like to say collaborating with it, but of course there's arguments around that, was this interconnectedness. But also I was growing a lot of gourmet mushrooms or cultivating them to eat. You know, I never really started thinking about working with them as an art material until around 2011, I started looking at different materials that I could work with. And it really happened after the Fukushima disaster because I've been a metalsmith for so many years and working with metals, which the extraction of from the earth is not great at all. And I've done a lot of recycling and upcycling, but still it's not great. But in line with the Fukushima disaster, I um, really studied Japanese alloys and working with particular metals or metal combinations from like really old Japanese techniques. And when this happened, I was watching the news. It was super early morning. So I was seeing uh, Japan just getting covered by the tsunami, like going underwater. And I really thought that with everything else that was happening, I just felt even more tied to these techniques that I'd learned in Japanese alloys. But then I really started thinking about that impact and how I might be able to find another material that has less of an impact, but I could still really use with my hands. I probably saw an advertisement or there was something in the news about a covative uh, design. And they were really starting to look at you know, working with mycelium and uh, different substrates like flax, kenaf, and hemp as a means to replace styrofoam. I started looking at my gourmet mushrooms differently <laughs> at that point. Like maybe I won't eat them or let them fruit. Uh, maybe I'll just break up this substrate and see what I can do with it. And it was really, uh, I think before I started taking the substrate apart and trying to form it into different shapes, is when I had um, some electrodes and a little device um, and I thought I'd hook that up. Like, what if I place these electrodes onto the mycelium? I wonder if anything will happen. And my partner was totally skeptical, like skeptical, sorry, oh, and saying like, there's no way nothing's going to happen. Like, what do you think's going to happen? I'm like, well, why not? It's alive. So um, the module I work with, I could hook up to my iPad and have it run through like a different type of synthesizer, things like that. And I hit, I had um, this little handheld microscope that has little LEDs on it and UV LEDs. 
and I turned the UV LED on. We turned off the lights. I was in the kitchen <laughs> and I hit it with these UV lights and suddenly music started playing out of the synthesizer. We were both, you know, huge exclamation points over our head, like, what in the world? It was actually really melodic. That's what was the most surprising to us, was that what we were hearing, the notes in succession, like, it, it was musical, it was beautiful. I'm like, oh my God, I have to record this. This is amazing. So when I would touch the mycelium, you know, lightly, and didn't have to be hard or anything like that, these changes would occur in the music. And so that was really profound moment, turning off the UV because, you know, I'm like, oh, it's not actually not a good thing to be hitting it with these UV lights. <laughs> I kind of say, you know, as it maybe becomes more comfortable or settles down, then it starts really becoming active. There are different times of the day it seems to be more active and things like that are more musically happening or definitely depending on who might approach it. But at any rate, that's when I thought, this is it. Like I've just got to really dive into this and see if I can find out what's going on here or do different mushrooms sound differently or different things and wow I, I love it this this moment when you describe this uh this discovery uh yeah I, I felt it it had to be totally magical wow yeah and um you know I just wanted to share this moment with people and I started the midnight mushroom music so I just started sharing all these files on uh SoundCloud generally what it was all about was fungi. But at the same time, I was also learning about slime molds, and in particular, Physarum polycephalum, and for mapping it or thinking of it as like, perhaps the alien collaborator or something, you know, you could work with that's alive and put into these different scenarios and see what it does, just let it do its own thing. Slime mold for sure is going to do its own thing, no matter what you think you're trying to make it do, right? It's not going to do what you want it to do. Even if you put that oat flake right in front of it, it will go around the oat flake to another oat flake. So what I would do for the slime mold, like to be able to place a, an electrode into there. And something else I would do is I would just put like a Eurorack patch cable directly in. So an audio kind of device that it might climb over or grow on. I would have to allow the slime mold to cultivate into a particular like really thick mass. So I'm not potentially picking up some kind of micro fluctuations in the conductivity of the agar. And yeah, so slime mold wasn't what I expected. At least the physarum polycephalum was more uh, like a tonal cluster, which I guess makes sense in a way when you think about how they kind of move around and this many, many headed slime <laughs> and how they come together and then branch out and then come back together. The sounds that were coming from them was very much like how they move, like their movement. So it was sending out kind of these tonal clusters. You could hear the sound almost ramp, like ramping up and then sending out it was a, like a ping 
and then slowing back down and then coming back up. So in a way, a very slowed down uh, beat. I've listened to, I've worked with a lot of slime mold since, so that was around 2016 or so. And I've definitely cultivated and lots of slime mold and also in the wild. And it's the same kind of response I've picked up. So you would say that mushrooms, they are giving much more like um, various uh, signals. A lot more signaling or more variance. There are times when like I hooked up the slime mold and then I would hook up the mycelium together. And that happened uh, at least with the slime mold and the mycelium once because I, at that time I was not aware Physarum wants to eat the fungi. And while I always clean the electrodes, you know, just because I'm concerned with contaminants and things like that happening, because sometimes I'll be recording over a day or two, I had cleaned these electrodes, but quite obviously not well enough, considering that it had been sitting in a batch of slime mold, and that did get on the fungi. So the very next day, um, the mycelium mass had a ring of slime mold around it. And I didn't, it still didn't really register with me what was going on, that this is not good. But the mycelium sounded entirely different at this point. It was kind of like bad jazz um, or something. Just, it wasn't, the sounds were very, very strange, you know, with the slime mold sending out these pings and the mycelium kind of in and out of these notes. But once it was attacked by the slime mold, the very melodic sounds were gone. It was really more frenetic. I change, you know, maybe the synthesizer voice or things like that that I'm using. But when I'm doing things like this, I definitely keep all the parameters the same so I can really get more of a sense if there's some kind of change happening or patterns happening. Because I felt terrible about that incident. But I've also hooked up moss and lichen at the same time with mushrooms. And generally, that sounds really beautiful. And so it's almost like if you want to say the non-humans are working together definitely in that instance and whatever symbiosis that they might normally have just it sounds beautiful wow and uh, so i i imagine that when you hook the electrodes you need to hook them into something which is kind of a, which is not liquid it has to be something which is like a i don't know more body like 
Yeah, like it has more of a body, but you know, there's all kinds of different electrodes that you can work with. I've worked with like tens snap electrodes or just like a snap electrode. Um, and you might put a biomedical pad on that that has a gel and things like that. And that that works really uh, well, I'd say, for sticking something to a tree. But I also uh, work with wire. You can work with fine silver or gold. You can put those into something that's more liquid-like, like a slime mold. And you can then directly like kind of immerse them into the mycelial substrate. I also work with some clips. They're a miniature duck bill or duck beak kind of clip. But even with like a yeast, if you can build up a thick enough mat or kind of get a clump <laughs> happening, you know, I've, I mean, I've stuck things in soil, but there's so many things going on in the soil. Um, I haven't done it in any wet soil. It's generally fairly dry, but the mycelium's definitely, I mean, I, I have hooked them up but generally, I'm working with something that's fairly fresh and alive. So it's got a lot of moisture going on. From um, like a fermented foods, which I would be curious about their sounds, is for example, kombucha, because it's quite meaty. So it would be quite easy to put the electrodes in. That would be really fascinating. I have not... I haven't even thought about it, actually. <laughs> Surprising, because I have done a lot of kombucha kind of experiments and things like that. So what do you think, and now I'm going on like a speculative side, right? Like, uh, let, let's go wild here. What, what do you think they are They are talking, if we could call this sounds talking, of course, because now I'm like humanizing it, but there is definitely some activity. There are some sounds. You experience that the sounds, for example, were very different when the battle between the mushroom and the slime molds was happening. I think that's really interesting. I think about like interconnectivity. I know that like Paul Stamets, for instance, believes that mycelium are like uh, these information sharing membranes. So I think if it's trying to tell us something, it's that we need to just be more in tune <laughs> with our environment, which with the pandemic, and everything uh, over the past year and now, uh, that's for sure. So I think about that. What, uh, and I don't want to be a downer, but what's next? Like, if we're not really going to see this entire world as a shared space, that we, you know, we're like these human holobionts, how do we work with all the other symbionts and non humans? It makes me also think of uh, of a sentence you you said some minutes ago about this collaboration with uh, mycelium for example in this case could you tell more about this could we can we actually collaborate with uh, non-human i believe that we can well i believe that we have to you know and i've had some scientists say but they don't have free will it's like well i don't really know if they have free will in the sense of our free will i 
I think that we can start to view, and there certainly are people doing this, um, just how we work with nature or can that be more of a collaboration, you know, less focus on the human so much. So we get caught, I guess I'm saying that because I just, I see that we all always, myself too, like we get caught up in this whole thing of how do we, how can we move away from just entirely thinking of ourselves and what we need and things like that and looking at it more broadly with more empathy, I suppose. But that too is difficult. I can really get into a loop here about that because, you know, my work in general is becoming, and I think too, for so many people over the pandemic, we're going more digital. And then that has its huge impact as well. What you've been talking before, how did you discover that actually you can make a sonification of mycelium? I've heard many of your like sets, but I couldn't imagine how you actually do it, which was quite interesting to hear, like, you know, behind the scenes. So do you actually touch the biomaterial you work with when you when you create sounds with it? It depends on definitely like what the outcome might be. So when I'm out in the field, generally, of course, I'm touching them. But in that instance, I'm just recording like the raw data. And then I'll later, you know, listen to it or something if I'm not sitting there with headphones on listening to it play out. So when I say recording, there's like different apps and things that you can use. So I'm having to use something like an app on either a phone or an iPad type of device. I might record MIDI in if I'm not doing, you know, kind of like fluctuations, like looking at zeros and ones or something. But if I'm hooking things up to a synthesizer, then yes, I'm definitely during a performance, I might touch them, especially if I'm doing a performance. And as well with that performance, there may have been a little bit of a talk so people can see some changes. But sometimes I don't even need to do that. Like they're going to do it themselves. It might get very quiet, you know, so I can point out on the synthesizer, like this voice right here, this is the mycelium. And then these other things would be me or, you know, usually I'm just adding maybe reverb or delay just to give it maybe a bigger kind of hall effect type of sound. Yeah, I touch them for sure. I touch them. Maybe not the slime mold though, <laughs> but, um, and that's only because you can get it on all kinds of things and then you have slime mold that might be transferred over where with the mycelium, it's okay to touch it in an installation. I've had it covered. Usually I have to have them covered to make the gallery feel comfortable because you know, that that's something interesting too. I think though, uh, that's kind of changing and loosening up a bit as people gain more of an understanding you know, you say, well, I'm working with fungi and people tend to really freak out a little bit. Like, is, am I going to get sick? Am I going to have an allergic reaction? Is it going to create mold everywhere? <laughs> and always the main issue is people contaminating it. Is the humans coming in and getting 
contaminants all over this mycelium. But something I've uh, started doing when I have used certain types of electrodes, uh, they, you know, they have silicone. It's like a silicone kind of overstranded wire. And the mycelium, especially <laughs> if it's uh, oyster mushrooms, grows over that. Like they've completely grown over and kind of engulfed these electrodes and then they start fruiting up out of the electrodes. So I don't pull the electrodes out anymore. I let them stay in that situation. So you are collecting right now the the data, let's say, out of this. Wow. So it's really long process. Um, yeah, it can be. You know, I'll do short pieces that I've been sharing a lot lately, but generally I felt the longer I can keep the mycelium hooked up and people can listen to it, then they might get more of an idea or they might be able to hear the patterns if there's patterns happening. So we've done like live streams too that have gone well over 48 hours. And that was something in um, Australia. I met up with some botanists and uh, some other scientists um, and mycologists through the botanical gardens in Sydney. And one of them was asking me if I've thought about, if you do a time lapse of a plant and you see how they curl and coil as they grow, you know, it used to be speculated that maybe that had to do with gravity and how the planet was turning or electromagnetic waves or things like this. So he was curious if you might hear that. Fungi, as far as I know, is not growing like that. But I did find, especially with a lot of the gum trees in Australia that, and I mean, I wasn't there for very long, but it felt like there was kind of like a dawn chorus happening that's similar to birds or fish. Like, you know, when the sun starts to rise, there's a lot of activity happening and that you could hear that the patterns would change um, from throughout the day and then into the night and then in the morning activity started happening quite a bit. So there is lesser activity during the night. Um, yeah, there was some, well, at least with this particular species, there was less activity during the night and more activity started happening around the morning hours, kind of neutral throughout the day. There was activity happening, but it wasn't a lot, like it wasn't a cluster of sound or just a lot of notes coming through. What I found is oyster mushrooms tend to be incredibly active, like almost hyperactive all the time there's something happening and the Ganoderma lucidum which is also known as reishi that feels more melodic and is very interesting too when I think of it being known as the mushroom of immortality I have grown uh, psilocybin um, mycelium and I didn't let it fruit and I'm not just saying that for legal reasons it died like I it got contaminated at a certain point and so 
that didn't work. But I did hook that up and it wasn't as magical, mystical, <laughs> psychedelic. So they have their own character in a way. They definitely, yeah, they have their own character. But uh, is there a particular feeling you get while while working with with mushrooms? Is is there some emotion or vibe you, you know you get from them while while being in in one room with with the mushroom there in the background? You know, very few. There are people that often get very weirded out, kind of freaked out, and aren't at all remotely going to go in and check out there's a mushroom under that bag is what they think. And there's sounds coming. They just look at me like I myself am from another planet and they leave <laughs> versus people that come and have such an emotional response and literally, you know, just start crying and feeling like, wow, I never considered you know, that something like that would make music or even have, you know, be alive or whatever people think. And that's really great and good, I feel, because they're now thinking differently a bit about their environment. Um, during a residency I had at MoCA Toronto, um, I would have living mycelium biosonifying and creating a soundscape like within this dome that people could go in and they could interact with it by touching electrodes that I had out for the human visitors that would send their bio data through the fungi. And then they could hear that. So people could come in and they'd hear these sounds and, you know, not in the immediate know where these sounds were coming from. And um, I had the dome uncovered and whatnot. And when children would approach as kids do, really young, super excited, like what's going on? <laughs> and they'd run up to the dome because they just at first see this dome with a brain in it. <laughs> um, the mycelium would get really like things would get very frenetic. And that was interesting to me because how is it seeing that? How is it sensing that? How is there a difference? Does it pick up on the vibration? For instance, I'm thinking maybe now it's vibration when the child would run up to it because it wouldn't react that way if an adult walked up to it. So there's a whole bunch of us standing in the room and I'm talking about the mycelium and this music's playing and suddenly the music came to a halt, like it just stopped. So we all, for whatever reason, looked over at the door and because it was like this big double door into the studio and this person had come in and it was like the mycelium we were kind of tying it to this person like, wow, why did the music stop? It's been playing this whole time. So this person comes over and talking about vibes, it was pretty negative. I don't know what, who they were, what was going on. They went over to the mycelium greenhouse I had in this space and I had just recently zipped it back up and closed it. So they went over and they started to like kind of mess with it. And I asked them, Oh, you know, if you'd like to see what's in there, I, you know, I'd like to help you with that because I just closed it. And then 
they asked, well, why? Is there a monster inside there? <laughs> I kind of laughed nervously. I'm like, no. Uh, but the whole room, like everybody, there were at least a dozen people in there with me. We're all like silent, like what is going on? And then I think this person finally picked up on, I think I'm freaking everybody out. And they left. The moment they left the door, the music started again. And people like myself too, I wasn't anywhere near the synthesizer. I wasn't near the mushroom. And so that was very bizarre. I don't know how was the... Did this mycelium pick up on everyone in the room? Exactly. This is what I was also thinking, no? And it also maybe felt your like your attitude. Yeah, our anxiety. Like Because it was quite clear we all were going, what is going on with this person? Because they were really not feeling positive at all. <laughs> and that was one of the more profound moments where I've been there and gone like, oh my gosh, there's something to this. I want to kind of dive into that more. And if I can at all, if there's a way of figuring out. Wow. I, lo I love that story. Very powerful. Something I'm doing now and with the electrodes and allowing the mushroom to grow over them, I will take LEDs, so light emitting diodes, and cover them kind of with a hot glue like people will do that if you're not familiar with electronics sometimes to make sure you know if they don't have heat shrink tubing they'll use hot glue or something like that to make sure the connections stay together where you've soldered them so i cover the entire thing and allow the mycelium to grow over it and i've done some different tests before doing that to see you know so if somebody passes in front of a proximity sensor and this is mainly something i've been doing because it, for COVID and people not being able to touch things and stuff like that. So could they pass in front of like a sensor that would then trigger that light that in a sense could be like them touching and depending on the color of the light um, and things like this, what differences or even a haptic motor, you know, so a little vibrating motor or something there that would move. So that's something more recently that I've kind of been working with the mycelium. And particularly, too, because I'm kind of taking this biodata now and bringing it into VR experiences, which I'm pretty excited about, actually. <laughs> I mean, okay, and we talked about digital, too, not being great. Um, but I am working on a project, actually a couple right now. One is a fully immersive installation. It will be a physical and virtual experience that people can have uh, with living mycelium that will be growing and creating the soundscape, but also reacting and responding pretty much in both environments, but really in the VR is where the biodata is going to be sent. So people will be able to see in different ways that we're working with visuals in the VR, their impact, like going into this environment and when they touch different things and just even walking through and how the, you know, the great mycelium entity <laughs> is interpreting their space in their place. So will it be a symbiotic relationship or like dysbiotic? And with that, we're working with like microorganisms and things. So it's depicting kind of the holobiont of the human. I've been really interested too in what we leave and what we take with us, Do you know, like in a microbial sense and microbiome, like when we touch something, we leave a little bit of ourselves, but we're also taking some of that with us. And so trying to create visuals around that. 
Wow, that's a, that sounds super interesting. Do you ever dream about mycelium? Oh, yeah. Uh, that's a good question. Yes, I have, or I think that's what I've dreamt of. I should say that's really part of the concept that I had for this VR experience that's symbiosis dysbiosis is being able to how can I show these things but or how can I really you know I'd have to say a lot of my work has come from my dreams um, and being a lucid dreamer and then later being told or learning that I have a sleep paralysis or that's allegedly I guess what it is where I will have incredibly lucid dreams and be fully aware that I'm laying in bed. And that is very strange. But apparently that's a sleep paralysis thing. And so I didn't know that, but that's what I've been told. I don't know, but it's, I mean, I enjoy it and I feel (laughs) That VR experiences, I mean, I think a lot of people think video games often or, you know, people going in there with those like first person shooter games and things like that. But virtual reality really has the potential of creating these incredible experiences and not just for visually. I mean, of course, they're visual, but I think that you can do a lot more with them on audio and haptics and like just create this full sensory experience too. Um, But so as far as dreams go, I'm excited about VR because I feel that it's enabling me to bring more of that dream time, if you will, into like kind of the world in a way Um, because, okay, you make a work and it's an interesting discussion definitely to have that <laughs> about, you know, when people, when artists are creating something like where does the concept come from and this and that, and do you think about what category it is or what you're going to label it? And I usually, I'd say it's more dreamlike or been more dreamlike for me is it's just, I have this idea and I then start trying to create that in the physical, like this reality, our reality with, I don't know, maybe I feel with, being able to create more of an immersive environment. And I really do like the idea of an installation where the people coming into the space can experience it on all kinds of different levels. And VR might be a component as well, if they want to jump into it even maybe deeper on a certain level, um, because it's definitely not for everyone. But in that immersive space, I think it's allowing you to maybe control more of the perception of where people might be able to really get the whole world you're trying to create or with the sounds and the visuals and, you know, especially spatial audio and bringing the mycelium into that. That's a lot of fun. Following our conversation, Tosca was enticed to plug some wires into a scoby and get a biosonification of kombucha. If you are all wondering how it sounds, you can check it out on Ferment Radio's Instagram profile. 
It's a special treat for our first anniversary edition. If you would like to know more about the show, listen to this episode again, or find previous episodes, please go to fermentradio.com. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. I'm always looking forward to hearing from you at hello at fermentradio.com. This episode of Ferment Radio is brought to you by Culture of Cultures and is produced by Super Eclectic. Thank you for listening, keep fermenting, and stay tuned for the next episode of Ferment Radio. Okay, so we've just heard uh, episode 20 there of Ferment Radio, which is the end of the first year. And I'm going to wrap this up by just having a short conversation with Aga. And I just really want to have answers to two questions that have popped into my head. First one is one I get asked, and Sophie I know gets asked a lot, which is, why do you do this? Why are you making these podcasts? Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that I could give like uh, many, many answers to this question because the podcast started in the middle of pandemics. This is very important to say. And um, uh, suddenly from quite more mobile person, I, I happened to, you know, stay in one city, in one apartment. And um, I thought that I want to meet people. I want to talk to all those people people I've met before or I want to reconnect to the new ones and it's really odd to write an email to somebody and say hey uh, you do cool stuff can we just talk but suddenly when you say hey you know I'm a host of this uh, podcast and uh, would you like to be my guest people usually say yes to that so uh, it really started as like a sneaky way of, of, of talking to people and uh, also kind of utilizing the years of, of my work in, in the topics related to fermentation and like a social change, I want to believe. And um, so, so that's it. I think that if pan- like pandemia would, wouldn't come, I would not become a podcaster. That's for sure. That's one thing. And the second thing is that I think I'm really getting tired of very kind of a direct, precise you know, ways of talking about the reality. You know, everything is visualized, everything, you know, even CG things, computer-generated graphics, they are pretending reality. And I really miss, like, uh, do we really, like, uh, can understand things through, like, a direct description? Can we, can we, for example, talk about, I don't know, uh, human rights, but talk about microbes at the same time, you know, like, uh, and kind of uh, let it let it enter our consciousness in lesser kind of a uh, uh, obvious way. So those those would be the two things I see very important as my motivation. Right, I think I think definitely the episode we've just listened to, uh, Fungi Music. I that's one of the things that interested me. The idea that. Uh, there was a collaboration between the people involved and the mushrooms involved. And that's stretching the boundaries of community in a way that I think uh, opens conversations in interesting ways. Exactly. Now, my second question, my second question is, where do you find these people? Mm -hmm. Some of the people I know from before, some of the people uh, are recommended by people I know. It's like, hey, you would really like to talk to this person. 
Uh, and that comes both from my friends, but also from the from the guests, which I, I already invited on Fairman Radio. And then the third thing is that I have this habit whenever I, you know, I read something online or, I don't know, I go to the library. If there is something which at least a little bit kind of, uh, I feel there might be connection to the whole universe of Fairman Radio, I take a screenshot, I take a picture, and then I have my folder where it's this universe made of like a, bits and pieces, and then I research on that, find those people. And sometimes it's not so easy actually to find the people, but uh, it's, it's been quite successful, I would say, to find people to, to talk with. Now, I think what I was wondering was, is there some kind of global underground radical fermentation network? No, there is, there is a quite strong fermentation community, and I would say that of any community, it's a diverse one, meaning that, you know, some people are more into pickles, some people are more into feminism, some people are more into, I don't know, health, let's say, and, and well-being. And uh, those are quite kind of, uh, I'm not sure how much those bubbles are actually interfering together, but I've been quite nourished by the community of fermenters who are more like hackers and and like also from more like a feminist circle. That's my community, but I wouldn't say that my guests are coming just from that bubble. I think that I usually try actually to reach the people who are like outside and maybe I try to pull them into the bubble. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay, then the fi- one final question then. Um, now that you've started, I know you, st- you said you started through the pandemic and it was a surprise to you to find yourself as a podcaster. But now that you've started, are you committed to do this in an open-ended way or do you have an end in mind? This is such a good question. I'm asking myself this question after each episode, you know, would it be the last one? (laughs) But, you know, if we talk about how, how things we cannot see, how microbial can function as a metaphor for other topics, I think it's infinite because microbes are everywhere and the topics are still coming and coming. So uh, I think that I am not worried about running out of ideas. It's more like, uh, do I really want to talk all my life about microbes? And uh, so far I am thinking uh, I I want to keep talking about it. But I think it's very, very generic. Uh, I mean, it's a thing without beginning and the end, I feel. And I am just kind of uh, in this very time having those conversations, but yeah, I guess it will be just up to me to, to end it. I don't think that there is some concept which which is like a, having some one unity and it cannot be redefined. Right, so it'll stop rather than end then. At some point it will stop. Most likely, yes. Okay, let's leave it there, Aga. Thanks very much for this. And uh, I'll put the URL to Ferment Radio in the notes for the podcast and hope that uh, everybody joins in your bubble as well as ours. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Now that you've heard the podcast, you can go to the website to find out more details, including references and links. The website's at meow.net. That's M-I-A-A-W dot net. See you there.